0: Welcome to ESA Explorers, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. You're listening to our Beyond series.
1: In this series, we take you behind the scenes of ESA astronaut Luca Parmitano's second mission to the International Space Station. I'm Ali Kohler.
0: And I'm Stephen Ennis. Let's go beyond.
1: One unforgettable space station. Seven months. Eight new friends. 10 spacewalks, over 200 experiments, and infinite memories. Luca's final tweet from orbit gave a short but sweet summary of a successful mission BEYOND.
0: In this final episode of the BEYOND series, we delve into a bit more detail with the astronaut himself just over one week after his return from space.
1: So welcome back Luca, welcome back to ESA Explores. The last time you were on this podcast you were talking to Stephen and you were in the final stages of preparation for your BEYOND mission. I remember you were about to undertake additional training for the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer Spacewalks, and you were getting ready for intensive examinations on Soyuz operations in Russia. Does all of that feel like a lifetime ago now?
2: I was just about to say that while I was thinking about it, that you were mentioning all these events that happened, what feels like a lifetime ago, even though it was only about eight months ago. Mm -hmm. It must have been around April or May of 2019. Here we are in middle of February 2020, and uh, so much has happened in the meantime. It's really as if a whole life has happened in between.
1: Yeah. And at that point, you were discussing what had changed in terms of training. So was there anything that you found that had changed when you got to the space station itself?
2: Well, the first couple of months on the space station uh, with Expedition 60 gave me a chance to really readjust to the environment of space because when you arrive on the space station, no matter no matter what your role is going to be or what your role was on the Soyuz, you start as the junior crew, so there, there's always somebody else in charge, which is a great arrangement because it gives you the time to really learn again, whether mm-hmm. it's your first flight or, or your second, there is always something to, to change, something that's changed in the station, but you have also changed for sure. Mm-hmm. Observing the others, how the others interact with the environment, gives you an opportunity to uh, imitate their behaviors, uh, whether whether they are moving in three dimensions or interacting with the systems, and to uh, to adapt. The space station had changed in the, in the meantime in the six years that I've been that I've been gone, and it was really good to have somebody like Nick and Christina, who already had for about four months in orbit. Mm-hmm. They really had a good hold of how they were running things on the space station and what was the general state of the station. Then once we started with the second part of the expedition, with Expedition 61, uh, and I became commander, I was able to implement what I thought were the good things that I had learned from my previous experience and integrate them with the good things that I had learned just being on orbit for the past couple of months. So in general, you can train you can train a lot on the ground, but... There's only so much you can really train in terms of operating on the station. You can learn the technical details and, uh, you know, you can learn the systems, you can learn the tools. How you perform in space is really something that you will have to learn while you're in space. However, i have to say that contrary to what I just said, the training that I received for AMS, and
1: it's something you were
2: talking about and you were mentioning that about eight months ago, I was going to go through the la- final stages yeah. of the preparation and getting ready for the launch and uh, uh, and the final exams on the Soyuz. The training that we received on f- for AMS was so specific and so, uh, so on point, so perfected through the years of preparation, that when I did the EVA, really the environment was the only surprise, mm-hmm. which for me wasn't too surprising after about four months on the station and... Uh, with experience of the EVAs on Expedition 36. And so everything else from a technical point of view felt very familiar and I felt very comfortable performing the operations.
1: We saw that in the first one we, we were sitting here with Stefan Schall and we were watching you and it was just, a, you know, go Luca. You guys were moving through, you and Drew were moving through things so much more quickly because everybody was kind of unsure as to whether you were going to get the shield off or what was going to happen once you were out there. But yeah, it was really cool to watch. I think it was... The final one, actually, that, that was the most suspenseful with the with the leak checks. And how are you feeling at that time? Just like thinking.
2: a very good book. You know, you prep for the worst and then uh, hope for the best. And he, the first three VAs, you know, we had gone through all these scenarios where tools wouldn't work, and the equipment wouldn't cooperate, and we would run into troubles with fasteners and uh, washers or or tools not working correctly. Things getting stuck. We had a lot of different ideas of what was going to happen. And then everything worked perfectly. You know, we were able to remove all the, all the washers and all the, all the fasteners and didn't lose any of them. Um, all the tools worked as expected. And I wouldn't say that it was boring. It, it mm-hmm. never is. It was, it was a great relief that the training could be applied so well in the actual environment. Which is not always, which is not always granted. So we had, we given names to the four EVAs. Yeah. The first one was the opening salvo, mm-hmm. because we were really opening stuff up and uh, removing it and trashing it. And then we had the nail biter, because the second EVA was when we were going to cut tubes with some irreversible actions. And so we had put in place a lot of different uh, precautions so that we were absolutely sure that I was not going to cut the wrong tube, which on the ground had happened to every single crew that a trained oh, on really? Wasn't Everybody, that. Everybody every person that held a rough cutter and cut tubes at one point or another cut the wrong tube. Okay. If that had happened in orbit, it would not be it would not have been irreversible or irreparable, but it would have caused a whole lot of would extra it have work meant to the, be end
1: done. Of the? Would you have still done the other two EVAs or would that have been put a
2: halt to. We always had this contingency bag ready to come out of the airlock with jumpers. So okay. if you got the wrong tube, now you uh, have to jump like the it. the f- fourth
1: one they were talking about. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Okay. And then the third EVA was the, the I think it was called the money run, because mm-hmm. it's when we installed the UTTPs of so this upgraded thermal pump. And all these three EVAs went so flawlessly that we finished early on every single one. We went faster and inspected. drain and I had a very good communication system we had trained well and we were prepared and our choreography really worked well and then the last one the fourth the fourth EVA was the closing one literally and figuratively because all we were going to do after checking and the system worked properly was closing it up with multi-layer insulation making sure that the sun wouldn't warm it up to the point where it was unserviceable well we went out and on the very first check on the very first leak check turns out that one of the systems that we had installed was leaking, which was completely unexpected. And it was just by
1: chance that you checked that one first, right? Or you had a feeling? or (laughs) Call
2: it chance, call it instinct, call it pure luck, call Mm -hmm. it something. If we hadn't done it that way, we probably would not be talking so happily right now because Mm -hmm. we would have run out of time. But what had happened is that from the ground, they had a plan on how we were going to perform this for TVA. And when Drew and I looked at the at the sequence of events, we we were at the point the experts on the on the location, on the environment, on the capabilities, both of the robotic arm and the individual EVAs. And we thought we probably we thought that we probably had a better idea on how to optimize the sequence of events. So we made the proposal to the ground, the ground came back and said, You guys are the experts, you guys do what you think is best, we will support you. And so just by chance, through that change that we implemented, I was the one that was checking first the main, the main site of operations and I found the leak. And just that change made it possible to salvage the whole operation. And then an intuition, but from the ground, thinking that after we found the first leak and that leak did not resolve after we implemented the first the first operation, which was to... Uh, Increase the torque on Mm -hmm. torque value on that on that swage. From the ground, somebody just thought, "Hey, at this point, either we break it, and either way, we have to cut it, or it works, and then we save a whole lot of time." Mm -hmm. So, shout out to Jeremy, our uh, Canadian astronaut, that you know suggested that. He's like, "Hey, if 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 it's broken anyway, we might as well try." Mm -hmm. He he made the suggestion completely off script. We implemented it 45 minutes later it worked and uh ams is now working better than he, better than expected it's at 100 percent of the cooling power and
1: teaching us more and more about our universe from the space station that's really cool um you touched on how uh, you and drew had really good choreography and we saw that again when you gave us this full tour of the space station which was great to see in the one take there you seem to have such a good relationship get on really well with all your crewmates. is it strange now being back on earth and no longer being together
2: very strange yeah but it's something that i knew was going to happen in a way you brace yourself for it when on my first flight i was a little bit of the the young kid on orbit i had an older brother chris cassidy and an older sister uh, karen iberg karen is the sister everybody would want the older sister everybody would want and Chris is the older brother. Everybody, we want, and uh, like they were teaching me all the tricks and all the all the cool things that you can do in orbit. And uh, and this time our crew was composed of people of basically exactly the same age and same generation. So we not only had a lot of things in common in terms of taste and uh, um, likes and dislikes. We are all athletes. We all like to work out. We all like. um a healthy lifestyle, but mm-hmm. we also have, and and that's true of most astronauts. But we also had history that we could go back and uh, and find it that it was in common because we all grew up in the same in the same time period. Yes, I'm I'm Italian, of course. I grew up in in the 80s and 90s in Italy, but still a lot of that uh, history transferred, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the cultural uh, references and uh, jokes and things are. Uh, very much relatable so that certainly influenced the atmosphere in orbit where we we felt just like a bunch of friends uh out on a on a great on a great adventure
1: a pretty cool road trip
2: yeah and <laughs> the, yeah exactly the, the best uh, eight months uh, six months road trip and then drew and i have even more in common we are both uh from Italy background uh we have we are we have we have families with children and daughters and All that works into uh, creating a relationship that goes beyond the work relationship, but it becomes really personal. And so I knew I was going to be really, really affected by leaving them on a space station. But uh, I knew it, and I know that I'll see them. And Mm. the beauty of such experiences, which is the same on a smaller scale, is the same of the beauty of life, is that, you know, it's... It's going to end one day, and so it drives you to appreciate it even more while you have it.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of of people and that human factor, we also had a whole lot of people down here on the ground who were following you intently, loving all the images and um, following every activity that you were doing. We don't have too much time, but we have had some questions come through from these people. So uh, just ask you to answer a few of them if that's all right.
2: Shoot away. <laughs> I'll do my best to answer.
1: Okay, perfect. So the first one comes from um, Christian Lazar, and he's asked How do astronauts prevent colds or flus on the ISS, and what kind of remedies do you have? Do you bring your own medication? How does it work?
2: Well, first of all, colds and flus are either of a bacteriological origin or vi- viral origin. So the first and foremost way of preventing it from happening is the quarantine Mm -hmm. that's the reason why astronauts before going to the space station stay up to 21 days separated from you know the general carriers of of uh, bacteria and uh, viruses which is children general population we are usually segregated with a small group of people that that are checked and uh, in a way they are in quarantine with us Mm -hmm. and then Right before we go, in, we go to space. We actually go through a prophylactic uh, procedure that tries to lower the risk as minimize the risk as much as possible. And then on the space station, we we try to keep it um, a very aseptic environment so that in theory we shouldn't have viral agents uh, uh, traveling around. And after a couple of weeks, really, we all share the same bacteria. Mm-hmm. So those kind of uh, that that also lowers the risk of uh, infections and so on. If something should happen, depending on the gravity of it, we have. Oh, by the way, that is, that's a joke there. Yeah. The <laughs> gravity of it, depending how on of how serious it is, uh, we have a small pharmacy, small but with lots of different antibiotics or medicine that you can find off the shelf, or even even more serious things that we can take with the support of, uh, of the medical staff on the ground if we have a doctor on board which we had uh, Drew Morgan is a doctor mm-hmm. we can also use him and his expertise to you know for small maladies and things like that and if something really serious should happen we can we can always come back to the ground within a few hours every day we have um, we have times that we can undock on the engines come back to the ground if something really really serious were to happen in less than a day you can be in a in a perfectly functional hospital on the ground
1: all right and the next question we have is about the uh, dj set that you did in space so is this something that you're planning to carry on now that you're back on earth
2: everybody can relax i don't i don't plan to do it ever again and, uh, <laughs> one I, and done <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah it's um i thought it was a cool experiment something that uh, could maybe uh, create the question in the minds of people that don't usually think about space. That was the whole idea. It was uh, to communicate through music, which is a very universal language, to the people that usually go to this kind of uh, environments, uh, dancing, dance clubs. I just wanted to tell them, hey, uh, the space station and astronauts and what we do is not something exotic or far away or unthinkable. It is a program made up of people people that enjoy the same things that you enjoy. People that enjoy music, that enjoy a good laugh, enjoying having fun. And here's an example. So it was really a way to really um, get across a message and uh, also bridge bridge a gap of, uh, of information. I thought it worked. I thought it was worth the experiment. I thought it worked, it worked nice, but it's certainly not my career. And not your day I, job. <laughs> it, it should never be my day job if I want to If I want to live.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, and this is the very final question, I promise, and then we will let you go. Um, it's from a person called Ocean Wave, which is a great name. Do you dream of space now that you're back on Earth?
2: I wish I did. If Ocean Wave is asking about night dreams, unfortunately I am... Not very well trained at remembering my dreams. It is something that you should cultivate, but I haven't. And so most mornings I wake up not remembering my dreams, which is a pity, I have to admit. I've heard
1: that that means you've completed them.
2: I don't know if I have, but Mm. I can tell you that I am really, really good at daydreaming. I'm always thinking about the next challenge, the next project, the next dream. And I do believe that dreams are an important part of life. And I may not remember the ones that come from the subconscious, but I am very conscious of the one that come from my desires. And so space is still first and foremost in my, in my daydreams about what I want to achieve and where, as a human, I would like mankind, humankind to go in the future.
1: Great. Thank you, Luca. And with that, we'll let you get on with your next activity and Head off. Thanks for coming on the podcast again.
2: Thank you for interviewing me. Thank you for your time. And thank you to all the listeners for listening to my blubbering.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure to cover Luca's mission throughout the last 10 months.
1: And this may be the final episode in our Beyond series, but it's far from the end of ESA Explores.
0: That's right. We're already working on ideas for the next ESA Explores series. So make sure to stay tuned to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe for the latest updates. If there is anything in particular that you would like to hear, just let us know on Twitter, at ESA Spaceflight, using the hashtag ESA Explores.
1: Until then, you can stay on top of everything exploration-related on the new blog. You'll find it at blogs.esa.int slash exploration. Thanks for listening to the Beyond series. It's been a blast.